You're listening to the All Things Data Podcast, the show that brings you insights and informed conversation around today's ever-advancing knowledge economy. In the spirit of Daniel Kamen, Peter Dimandis, and Google Moonshots, All Things Data brings together leading data scientists, technologists, business model experts, and futurists to discuss how to utilize, harness, and deploy data science, data-driven strategies, and enable digital transformation. Your hosts are Dan Yarmuluk, Dr. Manjeet Rege, and Thomas Marlowe. You are listening to the All Things Data Podcast. My name is Manjeet Rege. Um, we have an exciting uh, topic lined up with an exciting guest on applications of uh, AI, machine learning, analytics to uh, the legal uh, vertical domain, uh, specifically IP analytics. And um, we also have a guest host. Um, so filling in for um, Dan, uh, we have uh, Tom Marlowe, who has been uh, part of this uh, uh, podcast earlier as well. Um, and Tom, Tom is uh, the CTO as Black Hills IP. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Um, so I'll hand it over to Tom to introduce our uh, guest. Hi, Tom. Hey, Manjeet. Thanks. Uh, thanks again. Glad to uh... Glad to be back um, talking about uh, this type of stuff. It's always a lot of fun. Always a lot of fun to be here. Um, and yeah, I agree. We've got a really uh, interesting guest today, uh, Dean Alderucci. Um, he's the director of research for the Center for Artificial Intelligence and Pet Analysis at Carnegie Mellon University. Um, and has a bit of background in academia, having taught graduate courses in innovation strategy, uh, natural language processing, and NIP across University of Chicago, NYU, Carnegie Mellon, uh, pretty good lineup. Um, but Dean's also a patent attorney and was previously COO and chief IP counsel for a global financial services firm. Before that, chief counsel for a business incubator. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting and diverse background, um, and and always fun to talk to. Um, Dean's doing a lot of research uh, uh, into natural language and text processing, uh, particularly in the legal uh, IP field. And I, I suppose, uh, natural language is an interesting term as applied to patent attorneys which may add to the complexity uh, in any event. Uh, welcome, Dean. Uh, glad to be talking again. How are you doing? Uh, great, thank you. So I'm just delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great, great, thanks. So um, I guess along those lines, you know, I mentioned a few things, but um, around NLP and uh, text processing, but what, what kind of things have been keeping you particularly busy in the field lately? Uh, it's really interesting developments in the field. You know, um, as you mentioned, my focus is natural language processing. And there's a very good reason for that. If you want to do anything 
at the intersection of AI and law, you invariably have to deal with language. And um, I, I always note for people that might, <laughs> might know Italian, you know, in Italian, the word for law is the same as the word for read. And it's because in the legal field, uh, it, whether or not you're a lawyer, you probably strongly suspect that you do a lot of reading and uh, the legal field and analysis of uh, any sort of legal topics using AI invariably is going to involve text processing. And text, and, and in, in particular language, is really just a fascinating type of data. It, it really does deserve to be treated entirely distinctly from just about every other data that I, I, I think we commonly associate with different forms of AI processing. So I, uh, you know, you asked me about uh, things that occupy my time. You know, there's numerous developments over the last few years in larger and larger um, AI techniques for tackling one of the thorniest problems, which is how do, how do we have AI that at some level understands language and is just great developments. And you can, you can actually read about them uh, every now and then in the popular press. You could read a newspaper article about latest developments in this field just because it's so it's so amazing and at some level perhaps a, a bit scary when you read about a computer that can generate a news article on its own or you know, generate original text that it has uh, that's never been written before on its own. And so those, those, those kinds of things, um, I think they really deserve to be talked about. They're really interesting in their own right. Even if you know a lot about AI, about uh, data processing, there's just so many fascinating nuances when you get to NLP and then apply that to the legal field. Yeah, you know, in my uh, AI course, I show students how to uh, build a NLP model that learns from a lot of text. Um, and based on that, it generates new text for you. Right? Hmm. So can you talk about some use cases in the IP world where, I, where uh, AI can be utilized? Sure. There, there's a number of very common and I think uh, well-developed use cases. And let's, we'll, we'll take the patent domain to start. Uh, and the patent domain is uh, my favorite field in the field of AI. And I'm sorry, my favorite field in the field of IP and the law generally. So in the, um, in the patent field, there's a lot of good work in classifying patents, classifying specifically the technology that a patent deals with. And that's very important. For example, if, you, uh, if you're one of the world's patent offices and you receive hundreds of thousands of patent applications a year, you, you want to sort them by technology so that you can deliver the, the right kinds of patents to the right people. You, know, you have internal specialists who are computer scientists, internal specialists who are biotech. You know, they, they're going to read a subset of the patents, the patents that fall into their field of expertise. Outside of the IP offices of the world, uh, it's very important to classify patents by technology. If you, for example, own a large patent portfolio and you mm -hmm. want to keep abreast of developments in the field, you want to keep abreast of developments by your competitors, perhaps, um, and just normal users of um, patent technology and normal people, uh, normal normally interested uh, people in patents and technology more broadly might do a field of uh, field of technology search. They might say, well, you know, show me all patents that deal with cryptography, for example. So this ability for AI to classify a patent document into a technical category, very, very uh, well 
well-trafficked use case that they've been, uh, different people have been working on for a number of years. Dean, have you, have you seen, and, and I guess when you're talking about uh, natural language processing, and in this case, the example you used was for categorization, any issues with uh, the, the language in patent documents, um, you know, in that there's this added complexity of not only being technical language, but also being legal language. And it, you know, ends up being this kind of weird uh, thing that's hard for a lot of people to understand if you're not in the field. Yeah. Is that maybe, does that make it, I get in your opinion, I, I suppose it could go either way, either that makes it more challenging for tools, machine learning tools, or maybe the argument is, well, you don't have to get, the, the tools don't have to kind of get over the standard language biases that we, that normal people have. And, uh, you know, maybe they're, you know, ideal for processing those things. What, what do you think? Yeah, you, um, you took a lot of the words right out of my mouth. You know, I was going to say, uh, actually, it's my favorite answer. It depends. It depends. I use all the time, but really, um, there is a very different um, textual structure to patents. And so they are this, you know, as you intimated, it's sort of this hybrid document where there's a lot of technology. So on the one hand, it sort of in many ways resembles a technical journal article, but it's also, uh, it's written almost always by lawyers and it's certainly written with uh, legal criteria in mind. So it also, on the other hand, resembles a, a contract. You have this hybrid between a, a, a technical and a legal document and it, and uh, patents often try to do both. They try to satisfy a technical audience as well as a legal audience. Um, you might, if you're in the field, you might say, well, the legal audience typically wins because the legal audience is the audience most uh, intimately involved in creating and uh, amending these documents. But the, um, the AI can use the unique structure of patents to its advantage, depending on what it's asked to do. And so if, for example, um, you know, there's a, there's a part in the patent called the claims and they are the worst as far as looking legalistic. You know, they, they clearly were written by a lawyer and they clearly have this odd style that uh, is very off-putting if you haven't read them before. And if you design AI with that structure in mind, if you say, well, you know, process the language of claims and start to find information in claims, that actually works very well. The, the, the structure works out in your advantage. On the other hand, if you were trying to do something else, if you're trying to be a bit broader, imagine you were uh, trying to uh, have AI that, quote, understands the technology being described. I, and I uh, should put understand in big, big air quotes. But sure, imagine sure. You're, 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 trying, you're trying to design AI that just reads the whole document and it's going to, no matter what patent you've given it, it could be a biotech, it could be a software patent, you're trying to, you know, quote, understand the technology. Well, boy, that special structure tends to undercut your initiative because you're trying to maybe uh, bring to bear at this patent models that you've developed on other text. And then so you, you kind of have this, this hampering effect of a, a niche type of text. On the other hand, you say, well, we'll just train it on this patent text. Well, that's okay, but now you have another problem. If you, if you try to specialize it in just the text of patents, you're somewhat limited because, um, you know, much, much to everyone's surprise, there's just not that many patents. And so you might say, well, 
US numbers their patents in the 10 millions now. So surely that's a lot. Well, that's, that's a good number. Um, that covers over two centuries. So maybe it's not entirely representative. And even if you said, well, let's look at just the last 30 years and roughly half of all US patents were granted in the last 30 years. And so, okay, let's, let's assume that the last 30 years is representative, 5 million patents, that's just not enough. So you, you're hampered. You would rather that you have an AI model that was trained on you know, all Wikipedia pages, you know, billions and sure. billions and billions of words. And we just don't have that. We usually don't have that in the legal field and we certainly don't have that in the patent field. So, so again, it depends. It depends on how modest your AI goal is, whether the, the special structure helps you or hurts you. And I suppose when you're trying to take that, like let's say 5 million uh, patent documents, and then say you're doing categorization, like you were mentioning, well, there's how many different categories say that a patent office uses. It's, it's not a small amount. Um, and so now you've got to have how many representative uh, kind of pieces of text that fall into each one of the categories and your numbers start to get smaller and smaller. So I, I imagine, yeah, what seems like a big wealth of data starts to starts to dwindle a, a bit as you try to work into, especially some of the, uh, you know, the non like top categories. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have a, a sense, even if we're not in the field that uh, state-of-the-art machine learning tends to be somewhat data hungry. And so you just need more data, no matter what you have, you almost always benefit from more data. Um, you get into the number of categorizations, you know, you, you might say, well, if I have, for example, 10,000 different technical categories that, to assign a patent to, that's very difficult. Well, yeah, that's true. On the other hand, you could say, if I were to able, if I were able to categorize it uh, somewhat bluntly, that still might be useful. So if I couldn't mm -hmm. say exactly the type of computer science technology it deals with, but I could say, well, it's certainly not biotech. It's certainly not mechanical engineering. It must be computer science. Well, that goes... That goes a, a long way. It might not be as ideal as we'd like, but it does do some of the work and it does at least lay the groundwork for that use case, lays the groundwork for, can we accomplish some of this categorization goal and save some time if not completely automated? So you're saying something along the lines of, um, I would say sequential classification, right? Where in the initial step, one might classify that patent application into a broader category. And then you might have another machine learning classifier that is predominantly trained on, you know, sub classification of that broader category. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a form of hierarchical classification where you say, maybe there's one tool that is responsible for allocating it to one of the very broad categories. And then as you noted, you have some more, um, more precise tools that have been trained to do nothing else but identify the, you know, which niche of computer science this document belongs to, for example. And so, yeah, very often that can, that can help uh, with the ultimate use case if the ultimate use case is to essentially completely automate this task, the task of saying to whom should I, uh, to, to which category should I sign this document? And maybe if I'm in the patent office, to which patent examiner should I assign this incoming patent application for processing? Can you talk a little bit about the structure of data when 
you have to build a AI or an ML model on patent applications. You know, typically um, what we have seen is in machine learning, we are used to tabular data sets. In AI, you know, on text, unstructured data like text and images, it works out better. But when you have patent applications with, let's say, sketches, diagrams, um, are you primarily relying on the keywords that a patent application might have? Um, how does one go about it? That's a great question. You know, and again, I'll give my favorite answer. It depends. And in this case, it depends on what, what use case we're we talking about. What is the AI task? I mean, you have unstructured data. You have the, as you said, the, the images and the text and the patents. And so untangling or somehow trying to get some sort of correspondence between those two very different modes of data, it can be challenging. But even if you just tried to focus on the text, even if you said, well, you know, we have text, how do we process it? And I, I guess I'll extrapolate your question a bit to, you know, we have unstructured data, we have text, how do we manage it? How do we tackle it? Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to just pause briefly and indicate how special text is. And it doesn't have to be special. There are many use cases where we don't need to treat text as that much different from other data we have. But boy, if you're doing anything in the legal field that would go beyond the, um, the non-expert task, you know, where you need knowledge of the law, you need knowledge of some field of law, you get into, you very quickly get into that spectrum of text that is special. And I, I don't think it's at all obvious. It certainly wasn't obvious to me when I first started out in uh, natural language processing. But you know, when we say text, what we really are describing is language. And so if you'll, you know, I, I think I have some license to do these tangents because I work in academia, but uh, if you forgive the tangent, you know, we, we look at language, we look at text and we say, well, it's language and what is language? Yeah, you can define it a lot of ways, but language is, it's just one of the most amazing abilities that humans have. It's this ability to take a thought from one person and put it into another person's mind. And you can do that across uh, across vast distances of space, right? across the world. I can communicate a thought to someone else uh, via email across the world. Uh, you can do it across time. You can record your language. You can record whatever you're, you're thinking. And then someone reads it later. They read it next year. They, you know, they might read it centuries later in some cases. So you, you have you know, Homer's Odyssey, a Greek epic poem. You have uh, the Divine Comedy you know, by the Italian poet Dante Alighieri. These, these works survive hundreds of years. They, they are able to put thoughts in our minds today, hundreds of years after the, the artist created them because of the, the language, this, this amazing thing. And when you hear language, when, you, when you're sitting here listening to me speak, uh, the language, your brain is transforming that language into thoughts in your head. And so you, you, you can treat that very differently because that's different than most data, I think. You, I can put entirely new thoughts in your head with language. So if I said to your listeners, uh, you know, Thomas Marlowe and Manjeet Reggie are standing on their heads as they give this podcast, that's probably, if everything <laughs> has gone well in their lives, that's probably an entirely new thought that they didn't have before. <laughs> and so we, we just, but we take this for granted because we're so skilled at language and you know, we have amazing abilities in language at the age of five that probably exceeds the ability of, of state-of-the-art AI today. 
So we just effortlessly do these things that are impossible for computers to do. And so for that, for that reason, language and text processing, so, so different, so deserves to be treated differently. And then, well, what in particular do we have to do differently? You have to ask yourself, well, if I'm going to process this text, if I'm designing an AI and designing a natural language processing application, what am I trying to do with the text? Am I relying on this understanding? Am I trying to get the AI to perform a task that essentially requires understanding at some level? And there's many levels, right? That's very profound. And to the extent that we're doing something that doesn't require a lot of understanding or that you can do without a lot of understanding, NLP works wonderfully well. So uh, categorizing a document by the type of technology that it describes. I can do that pretty well with, with simple keywords. I can do that pretty well, even if I go a step beyond keywords into some, uh, some wonderful, but fairly old AI techniques, right? So I could use word vectors and I could do mm -hmm. some forms of sequential processing on word vectors and I can get some semblance of context and then, okay, so I, I don't really need to understand the text, but I could, I could do a decent job of this task because the task doesn't require real understanding. I could give it, so often when I'm, uh, when I'm describing AI and NLP to people, I say, well, could this task be done by a diligent intern who doesn't have knowledge of this field? And if the answer is yes, okay, then you probably have uh, one end of the spectrum for your use case, that low understanding end. I, I like if, that, the diligent yeah, intern. It, I hadn't heard that before, but I like that. <laughs> I, I think it's original to me. As far as I know, no one else uses it, but uh, I, I use it because it, you know, you don't need any understanding of technology to say, well, yeah, now I can, I can categorize my task on that spectrum merely with that analogy. And so I think um, we very often, because, again, because we take for granted our wonderful language abilities, we, we very often uh, somewhat unwittingly try to give AI a task that is very comfortably situated at the far end of the understanding spectrum, requires reasoning, requires common sense, or worse, requires domain knowledge, right? Knowledge of patent law, knowledge mm -hmm. of accounting principles. And we, you know, we are making strides in the AI field and tackling these kinds of problems. But um, I, I wouldn't say that there's tremendous confidence we can that we're, we're necessarily on the right track to solving all these problems. So, um, so thank you for uh, indulging me in my tangent. I just thought it was, it was necessary to really get to the heart of the issue. And in AI and law, it's really all about text and to what extent we need text understanding and the applications we happen to be uh, focusing on. I, I, I like that way of putting it. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely gonna be uh, reusing the the diligent in, intern oh, great. Uh, standard great. now, I, I I think that needs to be a term of art. <laughs> it, it it sounds good. Um, I, and and I I, I think what, what you're saying. Uh, I, by by the way, uh, the the tangent was perfect because I think it lays a lot of the good kind of groundwork for for some of this stuff. Um, you know, we were talking about categorization like the kind that a patent office would do because they've got um, a whole slew of patents that are already categorized 
Um, the other scenario that you mentioned was like categorization for uh, a business that wants some sort of business intelligence or, you know, at, at the very least IP related intelligence on their portfolio, that of what competitors are doing. Sometimes uh, companies have their portfolios categorized uh, many times they don't or, or, or not well or completely or there's an ontology that they used five years ago that's different from today and right. things haven't been updated. What are your thoughts on like, like unsupervised or like clustering type of an analyses and how well ML can do with uh, patent documents kind of just by given a company's portfolio or maybe two companies portfolios yeah. to try and sure sure so uh that, that's a great question and it's uh in the patent field certainly it's one of the most common use cases and you you hear it called different things it might be called clustering it called, might be called patent segmentation uh might be called uh, patent landscaping but essentially you know if i could if i could paint a picture you using purely the uh medium of audio, I'd say, well, imagine you, you know, you, you want to have this figure or this graph that is a nice artistic rendition of the way that a set of patents looks. And you might have a group of patents in the top right, and they represent one form of technology and a group of patents in the bottom left, and that re represents some other form of technology. And maybe you have some, some dots very far away from all the others because they're just pioneering or otherwise very different. But, you know, it's funny, actually, uh, so I'm, I'm teaching uh, two, two courses right now. I, I teach at uh, Dartmouth, Dartmouth's uh, Tuck School of Business. And so I teach one on natural language processing and I teach another on uh, AI for managers. And uh, in both, I was talking about clustering just last week. And I, I, I basically said to the class what I'm gonna to say to you now, which is clustering is great, but it begs the question, in what way are you clustering specifically when you cluster, you're, you, 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 the human, are deciding which inputs do I give the computer for each of these things that I want to be clustered, and how do I tell it to, to measure similarity between those things? So if I were to cluster patents, I, I could, and, and many people do, say, well, there's a lot of patents, um, and every patent has hundreds or thousands of words. And, you know, some of those words are very common, like the and a, and it's okay, ignore those. But mm -hmm. some of those words are pretty uncommon. And so maybe you cluster by um, how, by, by the most common words and clustering documents together if they share respective most common words. So if two patents use the word, um, you know, cryptographic protocol or use the phrase cryptographic protocol a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, they deserve to be clustered together because I've specified a couple of things in this situation. I've specified, look at the keywords or look at phrases, and I've specified that uh, the the most common phrase is the the input that I'm going to use to represent a patent, and we want to cluster based on those inputs. You know, so I've I've kind of glossed over a lot of the technology and a lot of the nuance, but. That's basically it. So when you say unsupervised, that's great for a lot of reasons. It uh, means we don't have to do as much. We don't have to impart as much information from the human to the computer about what these patents are or represent. But you know that's a downside too. We're we're left having to 
maybe throw up our hands and say, well, I guess all we have to give the computer is this notion that the most frequently occurring words and phrases are the important things to, to use as the basis for clustering. So what I see very, very, very often, and so I, I do a lot of, as you can imagine, I do a lot of work uh, trying to come up with custom models to tackle some of the problems that, uh, that large uh, companies with large patent portfolios have. And one of the most common use cases is, well, I'd like to understand what patents are in this field or what patents my competitor has, what patents I have. And, you know, you, you have this problem that they, they say, well, we use the existing tools and it's nice. It'll give us a high level overview, but it doesn't give us specificity. And so we, and the, some of the most common things I hear are, and we still have to spend hundreds of person hours reading these documents. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's because we are limited in what we can do with that technique to say that two things are similar or not similar. And what we want to do is we would love for the computer to read a document, take away some understanding of it, and then say, based on that understanding, I would like to say that you know, patent A is close to patent B or patent A has nothing to do with patent B. Well, okay, if that's what you want, if you want that understanding, it's you, you have to give that to the machine somehow. And sure. looking at yeah, looking at keywords, probably not going to do it. I mean, it might be a good approximation, but that that precision. And so this is some of the some of the most common problems in the AI and law field when you when you get to a practitioner that wants to use these tools, falls under the rubric of specificity. The tool's not doing this specifically enough or you know, might hear people say it's not intelligent enough. It's just giving me this superficial answer. I need this precise answer. Well, yeah, until we have the tool that's at that end of the spectrum I described that it can understand and can answer the kinds of questions that get asked in this domain, you shouldn't expect it to give you wonderful answers because we haven't designed it to do what we need it to do. So Dean, um, you know, in, in terms of using a pre-trained model versus training your own model. Many times, you know, if you're working on an image classification or mm -hmm. um, NLP applications, you know, there are existing pre-trained models available through sure. the different uh, cloud providers. But, you know, if you have like a generic image uh, or a language, sure, one can do that. But if you have language that is specific to a domain like IP, mm -hmm. I cannot use a pre-trained model. And if I have to train my own model from scratch, then I have to invest a lot of time in collecting and transforming the data where every instance has a label. Right. So which is the right approach for the IP world? So you probably suspect I'm going to provide my favorite answer, which is it depends. It depends, right? Yeah, it certainly <laughs> depends. Um, so, you know, pre-trained language model, you know, the off-the-shelf versus customization quandary. Uh, yeah, I also see that a lot. It depends on the use case, and it depends on you know, is this the kind of thing where a pre-trained language model is going to be useful? I think it's almost certainly the case that a pre-trained language model will have some utility. 
it's it will be maybe necessary even in most use cases. And I, you know, I, I have the air quotes around necessary. It's certainly a big help if you are able to get one without cost and you're able to deploy it and have that as the uh, kind of the, the foundation of the model that you're building. Wonderful, pre-trained language models exist for a reason. You know, in the fine tuning process, uh, certainly not going to be a trivial, but can, can do a lot of great things. But is that sufficient? You know, in the, in the patent field, there, there's a number of uh, providers who have already done the pre-training on the entire patent corpus or the entire US patent corpus. And in some cases, you know, they're extended to many, many other patents besides the US patents. Um, is that useful? Um, there's always the trade-off. How much more utility are you getting from the pre-trained language model? Well, if, if you're doing technology classification, if you're doing things at that end of the spectrum that doesn't require understanding, that's, that's great. Um, I think the vast majority, so if we could be very, very general, the vast majority of companies in say the patent space or the legal space really don't want to customize and, and really shouldn't have to customize. So in those cases, you do look at them leveraging the, uh, you know, the, the software providers, the tool providers that, that exist to provide services to the IP domain, to the legal domain more generally. And that, that just sort of makes sense. You're going to amortize the cost of creating this model or pre-training the model over numerous people that you're going to license it to. That makes sense. But, it, but we still get back to that case. Well, why? You know, what, why train a pre-trained, uh, train a new pre-trained language model on a new corpus. And a lot of the time you're, you're really shooting for too much. You're really asking the model to do so much that that might be a little bit of a benefit, but you really need a completely different approach. So there, you know, if, if this is news, I'm happy to deliver it, but there are ways to attack NLP other than large pre-trained language models, or I should say there are things that you should do in addition to having a good pre-trained language model. Uh, generally involves understanding what is the information that you need from the text. And mm -hmm. very often that's something that you, you don't just get from a pre-trained language model and you, or you certainly don't get it without uh, a lot of specific, uh, what we could call specific new algorithms targeted to extract that information. So Dean, I wonder if like basically this line of conversation we've been having is one of the reasons why there haven't been a tremendous amount or maybe a, a lot of success in like mass market as much as mass market can, can be for the IP legal field, but like AI backed analytics tools because uh, it comes down to, I think, the point you were making earlier, which is that, you know, the, the definition, the additional definition needed, and there might be a project that needs this particular nuance that, you know, needs to be accounted for in, uh, in the model building stage, not the, um, not the processing of data stage. And it's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> I think I was mumbling at the end of my question there, but I, I think that it's 
that's one of the things that I mean, with in, in my line of work, we build tools and we'll do analytics work all the time. A lot of the analytics work tends to be one off because it's so different every time. And it, it feels like that kind of is almost like the same narrative with, you know, using AI in analytics is you kind of got to look at the model new, depending on what it is that you're trying to get out of the analysis. And it's hard to just have like generic models that are, you know, going to be uh, able to, um, I guess, uh, take up or replace a lot of manpower versus some manpower, but we, you know, but we still have to look at a lot of documents. Well, you know, I, I agree. We're almost certainly going to have to still look at a lot of documents. The human will still have to do a lot of reading, but boy, I find that extremely distasteful. I find it extremely distasteful that we put all this effort into creating AI tools. And then the best we get is the AI tool that we created and is supposed to serve us then gives us a reading assignment as if we were students <laughs> in school. Um, I, I, I have true. higher ambition. So, um, yeah, you know, whether, whether or not I can accomplish those goals, I, I think that, you know, really the, the issue in the legal field, the issue in the IP field when it comes to AI is you do, you do need to do things differently, right? And you see, you, you mentioned uh, there's this great customization effort, but it can't be reutilized. Well, you know, I, I would, even though you haven't told me anything about the efforts that you, you undertook, I would imagine that they were very specific to IP in the sense that they required some knowledge of, well, what exactly does the user do if they were to, for example, completely manually read these patents and make whatever the decision is that the AI was supposed to support. You know, there's, there's this thought process. Mm -hmm. And so this is where, again, so now we're operating um, at that end of the spectrum I described before where you, you require some understanding, but you also, we're gonna throw in another dimension to this. It's not just that a lot of understanding is required. There's a decision process. There, there, there's a very, probably a very complex way that the IP expert reads these documents and says, I'm reading these documents because I'm trying to decide X. And it could be you know, every day of the week for a particular expert, they could be doing a different task. Um, I know in the patent domain, a patent attorney reads a document and one day it's because they need to determine whether or not they're going to be able to patent this. Another day it's going to be, uh, can I use this against a competitor because they infringe it? Infringe it. Another day it's, I'm reading mm -hmm. someone else's patents that I don't want to infringe, or I want to make sure that uh, we're going to invest research dollars in a productive area, not an area that's very covered with patents. So there's all sure. these goals. Well, all those goals should be translated and at a very high level, all those goals should be translated to some work that the AI can do. And very often you can look at what the AI can do. You know, I, I, I gave a long talk about how the AI can't understand text. That's, that's for sure at this, depending on how you define understand, that's for sure, mm -hmm. uh, even for state-of-the-art models. But what you can ask the machine to do is to understand a little bit of what it is you look for when you read the document. So as the domain expert reads a patent, they're looking for certain things based on the decision. You know, maybe they need a dozen different decisions every week, but based on the type of decision, they're looking for certain nuggets of information in there. Well, if you can, if you understand that when you're designing the AI tool, 
you can essentially tell the AI tool, well, look, we're going to tackle this use case. That means we're looking for the following types of information. And you know, just to make it a bit more concrete, let's say that it will, we'll take a non-IP case to make it a little bit easier. You know, you're reading a, 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 a will and you're trying to figure out um, who gets the who gets the most valuable items? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that my my AI needs to read the text to understand who who is being uh, bequeathed different items, and the AI needs to understand the value of different items. So I, I've taken that decision process while I'm reading the will to find out who's getting the best items from the will. I've taken that decision process and I'm now translating that to small micro tasks that the AI, if it if it can do, will help the reader, will help the domain expert. And so you, you arm the AI with this ability to be a better collaborator with the lawyer, to be a better partner and doing what it does best. So the AI is really good at looking for small types of information. It can recognize small types of information. I can't give it big philosophical questions to answer about a 30 page document, but I can ask it to look for phrases, to look for particular sentences that that broach certain topics. So if I'm able to translate the decision process into these little tiny snippets of information that it should find for that use case, and then it can find that information provided to the user, maybe even draw simple inferences from those nuggets of information. Now, now you have something. Now, now you have something that is a step in the direction of being able to, you know, do what you might consider to be an artificially intelligent process, you know, something that replicates what a human would want to do. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and I think, I think there are a lot of opportunities kind of like you describe um, in the legal, especially in the IP field. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm excited for, for where the field will be going with it. I know that the capability is there or, or it's, it's coming. It's, it's right around the corner. It seems like uh, it's been only three years away for the last 10 years. <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, to seeing your work uh, push that forward and, and, and get us around that corner. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, um, I, I think I'm one of a, a, a small but distinguished number of people working on IP and AI. I think it's a great field. I think it's mm -hmm. great uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned that there's so many different challenges here. There's so many different people that need to solve this problem. And so, yeah, I hope it grows. I, I hope the field attracts more, more interest from people who have those skills in AI and in IP. I think that would be a great development for the community. That's yeah, that, that's great. So for, for all the folks that are uh, listening to this podcast here that aren't in, in the IP field or haven't looked at it yet, uh, take a look. There's a lot of interesting opportunities here. So uh, Dean, I think that uh, that wraps up our time. I'm really uh, glad that we got to talk about this today. Um, some really interesting stuff that you're working on. And, and you know, like, like we mentioned, I think there's some some really cool advancements coming just around the corner uh, in in this field. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's only a matter of time. The more people that are looking at it, the more we're going to see advancements. Um, we're going to see developments that actually take a real dent out of all the time that people in this field need to manually contribute to the efforts. You know, there's just so much 
reading and there's just so much writing. I would love to be able to offlight that to software. I look forward to those developments, hopefully in the near term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I know there's, there's a lot of attorneys that would appreciate that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Dean. I'm sure our listeners um, found this conversation very um, enjoyable. Thank you so uh, much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of All Things Data. If you enjoyed this show and want more, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and others, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or a review. Until next time.